What's difficult about this text? There's a lot difficult about this text. Because you remember what I talked about last week. We're Americans. We like to make our way, right? We like to uh, pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, and we like to do it, right? Am I crazy in saying that's generally what we like to do as Americans? And it's been a part of our history. It's been a part of what we've done. And so we like to build on good things that we've done with more good things. More good things, and we feel like... When you start looking back at the history, you can say, man, we've done a great work. This text tells you otherwise, right? This, this catechism tells you otherwise. I was sitting in a, a lunchroom. I'm going to tell you two stories about my professor. He's the guy that spoke of my ordination, Dr. Andrew Perkins. We were sitting in the lunchroom, we were all eating lunch together. And I talked to him, and I said, uh, um, you know, I, I see people who deal with, or that uh, feel guilty about their sin. And when you, you know how when you know someone well enough, you can get their body language? Not so much you hear the words that they say, but you know what they're saying by their body language. Does anybody know people like that? I mean, you could just tell. I mean, Leslie's not here. She's with her mother right now. But I, I can tell you that I could just look. How her, basically, how her eyes are shaped in that moment. She's angry. She's happy. She's content. She, you know, just she's like this or she's like this. You know, you could just kind of tell. And if you ask me to draw it, if you even ask me how to describe it, I couldn't do it. But it's just this mental image, right? So I got to know my professor well enough to know that he hated me saying guilt, the word guilt. And so I immediately honed in on that. Because we were just talking about trying to live sinfully, what does that even mean? And I had through the process of that I shared concept of guilt, and he hated it. And I said, well, what do you think about that, Dr. Purvis? He goes, oh, I don't deal in guilt. Now, He's from Scotland, and so I, I don't, there's always this, this concept of, well, what does he mean? Because sometimes he'll use like words, I mean, he speaks English, but he uses words that don't mean the same thing to me. And so I was like, well, what does he mean by deal with guilt? That was what occurred to me. So I asked him, I said, uh, well, wait, 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 time out, time out, what do you mean by deal with guilt? And it's just that. He's like, guilt has no power over me. I don't ever experience guilt. And the whole table laughed. <laughs> the whole table was like, ha, ha, ha. Oh. Like, like we thought it was a joke. Who here deals with guilt? Guilt doesn't come in, creep into some of you folks. Guilt is, is a powerful force, right? There's guilt ascribed to Catholic guilt, Protestant guilt, right? I mean, you hear these different types of guilt, cultural guilt, guilting you into doing things, right? And here's this professor, telling a group of theology students, I don't deal with guilt. I didn't believe him. I believe that maybe he didn't. But I, don't believe, I didn't believe in the moment 
what that meant. Fast forward two years later. And as an aside, um, for those who, uh, I, I, look to, I look to the younger guys in this, in this room right now, and I'll tell you as a warning, and I look to the older folks, I'm not going to point who those are in the room, and say, can you affirm this? That whenever you come, and whenever you experience new things in life, God has a tendency to show you how sinful you can be sometimes. I don't know if that's true for you guys, but that has always been true for me. Every time that I've moved or every time that I've uh, encountered a new kind of pattern of living, going to a new city or going to a he shared, he showed me how sinful I am. And immediately, what happens when you sin? What comes in? Guilt. That's usually the next thing that comes about, right? So beware, young guys, as I continually try to work myself through this, that when I first moved to Columbus... Confession time here. And everyone leans in. Into the pastor, confess. I was overwhelmed with sinfulness and my understanding of how sinful I was. By the way, whenever I say I'm the chief of sinners up here, I don't say that as like, I'm the chief of sinners. No, I, I say that in the midst of confession. I believe that I'm sinful. And why I say that, I'm getting at what I mean by this text. I went and spent time with my professor. And uh, we were walking around the park, the North Park, north of Pittsburgh. And we were just walking around, and he, and I shared with him that, that overwhelming sense of guilt of my sinfulness. I'm a pastor now. Shouldn't they be completely perfect? You know, shouldn't they be holy? By the way, I don't think I am, I know that. But that's, that's that guilt. That's where that guilt comes in, right? That's where that, that kind of creeping guilt comes in. And he goes, ah, you're getting it. Sage wisdom. You don't know where they're going with, where the power of the professor doesn't know, and he's wise, and you don't know where he's going with it. I'm like, what do you mean by that? What, what am I getting? He's like, you're learning how I don't deal with guilt. He goes, Don, I'll never forget. I'm going to try to do it in a Scottish accent. Don, that's how he comes and says my name. Don, never surprised by my depravity. He's never surprised by his total depravity. That is what we're talking about in the Hunter Catechism. We're going to keep talking about it. It's just not all, not all the way through, but in this, in this text, this is what we're talking about. That kind of leaves me nowhere. That leaves me with an absence of something. Me. At least initially it did. Okay, so I'm just totally depraved. But when you start carrying that onward, you start really working this out. When you begin to feel like your holiness is given to you, or rather, is actually born out of your actions by what you do, you being holy, you being holy, you being holy, by what you do? Yeah. When you sin, as you will do, you will feel guilt. 
because you think for the brief moment that whenever you do something that is holy, whenever you do something that is good and righteous unto God, you think you do it out of your own power. You think you do it out of who you are and, and your essence of your being. Whenever I have Dr. Purvis saying, I'm never surprised about my depravity. See, here's the tension. At the very base, we need to approach the Lord. We need to approach Jesus Christ with the sense that we are utterly sinful. Second story. A student came in. I used to meet college students in coffee shops. That was kind of my thing. Um, at least, yeah, that was, uh, I did that all on every campus. I would meet in coffee shops. And, and uh, he'd come into the coffee shop, and again, I knew the guy well enough. His demeanor was down. Heavy, something on his shoulders. And I said to him, we're going to call him Kenny. It's not his name. I said, oh, what's going on, Kenny? You look, you look upset. He's like, yeah. I did what I shouldn't do. I looked. I, I dealt with pornography. Now, by the way, that is a very, very, very common thing in college students. So I don't want you to be so repulsed. It's, it's ugly, it's horrible, and it's wrong. But a lot of guys deal with it. He come in, he's like, I was just looking at pornography, and it's awful. Horrible. And he's just, you just see this, this turning of his stomach and who he was. And see, the problem is this. Here's the problem. He was surprised with his sinfulness. He was surprised how dark he could be. He was surprised at how sinful he was. And that's where it led him to be sitting there consumed with guilt and shame. I'm not saying he should be proud of it. Don't hear me, because I'm going to get to the other end of this. But I think, I think... Guilt creeps in when we have a loftier sense of who we are. Thinking that we make our way. We make our holiness. We make our righteousness. We make our sanctification. And instead of recognizing that we are sinful, we are depraved. We have total depravity. We are constantly running after the sin of this world, the things, the lust of the eyes, the things that who we are will always rebel against God. And by the fact that we have anything over here, any bit of goodness, any bit of righteousness, any bit of sanctification, comes from whom? Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, by what he did on the cross, by who he is, he is drawing you out of that depravity. So you have this constant sitting there. And I said to him, Ken, how many times besides that sin do you think you, how many sins do you think you committed 
from that point on. And he's like, I don't know, maybe one. <laughs> you see, there's the problem. In all the circumstances, in all the times. Now, I know, I know, he did commit sin from that point. And I won't go into this young man's sin who's <laughs> completely removed from this congregation, whatever. I know that he committed sin. I know that he was sinful. <laughs> but how he judges himself in that one sin brings in the guilt. Because it... it faced him, it it forced him to realize how he wasn't holy and how he wasn't righteous. And what did it do? Because he thought his righteousness and his holiness was on his own shoulders. It left him over here, sitting here in the midst of his depravity, in the midst of his guilt and shame and anguish. But my question is this. Where was Jesus right after he committed that sin? Where was Jesus? He was right there. He was still there in the midst of his depravity. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Right after he got done committing that sin, Jesus was right there. Right there loving him. Right there in his presence. Romans 5.8, by the way, if you want to know what I just quoted. Yet while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Yet while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Bob, while you were a horrible sinner, Christ died for you. Amen. This is good news. This is encouraging. Not out of your own ability, because trust me, out of my own ability, I'm going to fall. Out of my own ability, I'm not going to be over here. I'm not going to live up to this standard. No, I'm not saying something good about you folks, as you are the righteous people. And over here, you guys are the total depravity people. I'm not making a claim about that. That's not what I mean by that. I'm just using my walking back and forth as an illustration, as I often do. See, this is the problem. We begin to think out of our own ability, we gain righteousness. We begin to think out of our own ability that we get to get over towards this app. We get to come to this point. Yeah, he saved you. Of course, my sins are forgiven. Oh, that's fine. But I get to work this out and I get to be holy. Wrong. It's by the sheer grace of God, I'm not even more of a sinner than I already am. It is by the sheer grace of God that while I'm here, I still get to see his face. I still get to taste who he is. And guess what? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he invites me on this path of walking over here. Day in, day out, this is the text that we're talking about. And he slowly draws me to this point. But what road am I on? Am I on my own ability? Am I on on the road of my own strength? No. As a matter of fact, I'm fighting. (laughs) Often. I'm fighting. and working against the Lord. Let's reread this text then. What then? Are the Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. 
Surprise. No, it's not a surprise. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being, listen to that, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Leave it on that verse 20, because that is key. You are totally depraved, each and every one of us. We will find ways to rebel in such a way that will shock us, that will surprise us. And the moment we rebel, who's there? Jesus. The moment you rebel and you come to an understanding of your rebellion, he is there with love, forgiveness, kindness, gentleness, sometimes not too much gentleness. Because sometimes he allows the fruit of your harvest, the fruit of your sin to bear weight on your life. I love my father. I love my father. But he smoked for 45 years. He has lung cancer. He's bearing fruit. Does that mean Jesus doesn't love my father? No. Jesus loves my father. I don't doubt that. See what I'm saying here? We deal with the muck of each and every one of our sin. And we deal with our own sin. But guilt and shame creep in when we think out of our own ability we make it. And we make it on our own. When in fact, what were the two greatest commandments we read earlier today? What were the greatest commandments? Love God and love others. Love your neighbor. It starts to work in where we don't even forgive one another. Because we think we're up here. When two people interact with one another and one person wrongs the other, they think that they're up here and they're saying, oh, <laughs> how dare they do that to me? How dare they do that to me? I'm up here, and they're over there. How dare they do that to me? Right? You come from a point feeling self-righteous and holy about yourself. When in fact, maybe that person did wrong, but if you come from the same level, like I said yesterday, the foot of the cross is the level ground, and we are sitting right here. And if someone does you wrong, yeah, you ask for forgiveness. You seek forgiveness. You seek to come together. You seek for reconciliation. But not because you come from a point of being better than that person, but because you, you know yourself that you have been forgiven. It's the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
we think we do that from a lofty position, we forget the first part of that prayer. We forget that the fact that, please, forgive us of who we are. So that we have the power to forgive other people. Not because we come from a point of loftiness. There's only when one human being that can come from that position. And you know what? He has forgiven you. He loves you. And he is present. And right after you commit that sin, he is there to forgive. Final, final punch here. Final aspect of this. But I think it's important that you guys know really what I mean by this. Why Paul is saying this? The law exists to help us know how far we are from him. That's what the law exists for. But the reality of it is that we have a living and active and present God who's drawing us to complete and absolute consummation of the Father. What does that mean? What does complete and absolute consummation mean? Total restoration, total health, total healing. It is in Jesus Christ that he's drawing each and every single one of you to complete and absolute sanctification. Not by what you've done, but what he has done and is doing through the power of the Holy Spirit. What he did by being born, by being baptized, by living a life, by dying, by resurrecting, by ascending, and coming in. That is this plan of restoring each and every one of you. What part do you plan in? You just be. You love Jesus. You worship. You spend time with the God who is claiming you and not letting you go. Because the worst thing you can do is begin to allow guilt to creep in, to allow yourself to think of yourself more highly than you ought, and to think right now in this moment, I'm really good. I'm really righteous. I'm really holy. Because in that moment, you do not see yourself as nearly sinful as you actually are. You sit up here and say, I'm really good, I'm really holy. You're like that kid who comes in and is like, I may have committed one or two sins this week. Come on, man. This is where we're at. This may sound awful. I just broke the news to you that you're sinful and that you're depraved. But I got a plan. It's not my plan. It's a plan that Jesus gave, that it's in Him. It's His righteousness. I've known no better good news. I've never worked a plan out of my sanctification or my holiness that ever came to fruition. I've never been able to achieve some level of holiness on my own. I've tried. I've tried our fasting. I didn't whip myself. I didn't, do, I didn't go that far. I didn't try that hard. Because see, this is, the, this is the beautiful part of this. If guilt has no power over you, then we have a God who knows exactly who you are. All the dark spots and the evil things. And you know that God who does that? 
He comes to you at night and says, I love you. I love you. No matter how sinful you are, he still says, I love you. You can't do a thing to stop that love. I know no greater news than that. The God who loves us with such ferocity and such grace. In Jesus Christ. Father God, we thank you for this time. And I pray that you remove the power of guilt so that we get to live into your holiness. Let us seek your face. Let us seek to love you with our very hearts and minds, knowing often that we fall. And let us know that love each and every day. Not with the power of guilt, but with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in your son's holy name. Amen. Let us stand and read the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten of the of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnated in the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who from the Father is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's respond to the message with our gifts, ties, and all.